and I can't find a seconder usually when I'm recording this, but I don't care. I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me, and I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this, pick a number, get online, and kiss my hand. Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Responsibility Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the legal qu- the quality of legal services provided by other lawyers. My name's Harry Steele, Backwood Southern Lawyer. I have my buddy Paul Rip here with us, and we have uh, Rains joining us from Houston. Sound off, Rains. I'm out here. There we go. So one of the things we've been talking about um, are these uh, complaints we we have cooking. Um, Busy week for me. Uh, I actually do have a a law practice. (laughs) Uh, So the exhibits will be on our Facebook page this weekend. You can follow along, see where we're going with those. Um, Paul's actually going to sign the complaints for Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah, be a sweetheart message. We're going to do that for you uh, next week. And um, so, Paul, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you tell us about uh, the the city of Fairhope last night had a state of the city address. And uh, was did the mayor do that? Uh, Just tell us about how how did you find out about it? What what was what was the premise? Right. What staff was there? That kind of thing. All right. Paul Rip, uh, Rip Report and Baldwin County Legal Eagle. I did go to the state of the city last night, Fairhope 2020. Uh, they put out a 35-page booklet, see how far we've come, that's outlining from the uh, mayor's point in time in well, office. If, hey, Paul, if you got 2.6 million dollars laying around for land that you're going to turn around in surplus you can you can afford this kind of stuff <clears throat> yeah really Keep that going. was uh, and and by the way that was something that the uh, council did not the uh, mayor and staff the mayor and staff's accomplishments more or less are in this booklet the uh, council can't get too much credit in fact it just makes you wonder if they could accomplish this and the short amount of time, what could they have accomplished if they had a uh, council that wasn't such a, an obstructionist? But the commitment the mayor made was uh, leadership for responsible growth, invest and protect our most valuable assets, improve communication and citizen engagement, and end wasteful spending and restore physical health. She certainly has done that. You know, she's had a uh, open door policy that's on her card my door is always open and the city has much more communication with the public than they ever had they have a ever bridge notification system that anyone can get on uh, and a broadened social media outreach live streaming every meeting has been incredibly impactful and i, I actually watch them uh, well yeah regularly I, yeah i watch a lot of the committee meetings i can't go to um also in the booklet what uh, I thought was uh, very interesting. Of course, interesting. Paul and I are veterans, and we know you get about half the story in the official meeting. <laughs> oh, right. you got to look between the lines. Uh, the junior council was there last night, and uh, I really think the junior council uh, should just replace the councils that's there. I think they could – I think they'd be better suited for the job. The financial snapshot is very impressive. The city assets increased by 946 
5.6%. City combined cash increased 52.67%. Utility combined cash increased 60%. Income before transfers, 45.11%. Utility debt decreased by 22.63%. And most of all, the city debt was paid in full on June of 2019. Uh, tax revenue increased by 23.68%. And you really should get the booklet. If you weren't able to get there, you can go by and uh, get the 35-page booklet. It tells you just about anything that you uh, would want to know about the city of Fairhope. Uh, they have a new green space uh, project that is 6.2 million that's coming from the um uh, uh, restore act funds uh the what is on the agenda and coming soon is a eastern shore sanitary sewer overflow prevention plan is one million well for a city that just paid off their debt and have this big plan um last uh, two days ago, they had a sewer spill into Calpin Creek. Just keep, keeping well, things honest. Well, well, correct. But you have to realize that up until this administration, they did nothing for the sewer. In fact, they invested in a sewer plant and ended up spending almost thirteen million on it, where they could have relocated the sewer plant for twenty million and and didn't lay one inch of infrastructure pipe. Uh, Fairhope Area Community-Based Comprehensive Plan is coming up. That's six hundred and uh, six hundred and fifty thousand. And then you're talking about the sewer. Sewer upgrades are ten million. No money like this has ever been spent in Fairhope on uh, on that. Now they've never had this many people's poo-poo to deal with either, Paul. Well, that may be true. And piling up, <laughs> well, got to do something to stay up with it. They each of the each of the uh, uh, divisions last night or uh, you had the power company there the police department all the superintendents so you could go around to each one of the booths and talk to them at the uh, uh, city clerk's desk they have a Fairhope municipal election for 2020 it's a yellow sheet and it includes all of the dates for the next 2020 election I know some of you will be very interested in those dates so you could go by and get that as well is it on me it's on you all right so this is so this is my this is this is my bailiwick this is the kind of thing that i'm passionate about and i find interesting uh you know i feel like a kid during the 60s when we were building rocket ships and things like that every time something new comes out about dna i geek out and uh so one of the programs that I watch all the time is a series called CARTA put out by, uh, I know it's the most liberal institution in the world, UC Berkeley, or UC Davis. I can't remember who I should be giving credit to, but it's the CARTA program out there. And we're going to run a short video for you, and then we're going to come back and talk about how this relates to things going on here in Alabama at USA and UAB. Go ahead and run it for us, Nick. We are the paradoxical eight. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, 
yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. All right, so um, did we give a credit to that video, Nick? Okay, good. So uh, that video in particular is about denisofen and Neanderthal DNA and how it's been identified in us, uh, Paul in particular. Um, so tell us about what's going on down here, Paul. What, what are we doing with DNA and all that? Well, this is on our Lanyap review, uh, Cracking the Code. It's the uh, cover story by Catherine Rainey. It's a research program to benefit, quote, unquote, all of us. Uh, program administrator, administrator is Julian Bowers and principal investigator Dr. Errol Crook. Uh, this is to encourage Mobilians to participate in an All of Us, a federally funded genetic research project taking place at University Hospital. So, so Range, you think they're trying to give us all syphilis again? <laughs> Man, I am staying out of any kind of genetic research project that's sponsored by anybody in the state of Alabama. And it's the feds, no man. Way, man. It's the feds. Oh so, yeah, trust them. I'm, I'm sure the only uh, yeah, I got a I got a great grand uncle that nobody claims in my family that accidentally come down with syphilis when he was in the Air Corps. So no, I ain't uh, I ain't participating. <laughs> Keep going, Paul. Sorry. Well, uh, those of you who got a little bit more courage. <laughs> this is the most of you may not remember the Human uh, Genome Project that was in '03, and. Um, uh, countries such as the U.S., France, Germany, China, and the U.K. took part of it. It was a 13-year-long project. The purpose was to create more of an understanding of the building blocks of DNA and human beings' makeup. In doing so, scientists and doctors hope to further uh, the population by helping reduce or even eradicate certain diseases. Uh, to this day, much of what is taught in medical school refers to treatments that work for the average patient, but no one is actually average. Each person is a little bit unique. The hey, human genome so project. Let me stop you there real quick. Sure. So um, back in 1832, a physician in Germany went around and stuck a thermometer up in other people's bodies, and he determined that the average temperature of people was 98.6 degrees. So guess what we found out this week? What? Because we don't have as much inflammation and people aren't, we don't, we don't have to actually use our bodies as intended to maintain, regulate our body heat. We, we pretty much stay in, uh, you know, an environment that's controlled. Mm -hmm. So our, even our body temperatures have changed over a hundred years. It's like 97.5 is going to be the new average temperature. So anyway, all kinds of medical fascinations. Keep going, Paul. The Human Genome Project being tapped into reality, getting to know people on an individual basis or precision-based precision medicine. Uh, 
the all of us research program comes in this new exploit picks up where the genome project left off and aims to offer more hope for precision-based medicine now this is a uh uh, cover story two page so i'm just giving you the highlights of it uh participants uh, in the project will need to present their health records and history there's no need for a patient to be in a usa hospital or even to have uh, insurance um, human beings are full of mystery and all of us is an opportunity for everyone in the community to get involved and assist with this interesting and illuminating research. Currently, 1,500 people have done so through USA, and around 300,000 have participated nationwide. With a goal of 1 million people enrolled by 2023, everyone has a chance to be part of the medical history. If you want to find out more about it, uh, you can either get a Lanyap or uh, you can visit their website which you will never remember on this <laughs> telecast but it's a l l o f u s dot n i h dot g o v i would suggest double checking all that and getting it from uh lanyard <laughs> so so Rains, let's talk a little bit about uh genetic testing um down in florida they call it the pillowcase rapist the pillowcase rapist because his nephew took a 23 and me and he raped yep. 30. Well, you were down there, right? It was South Florida case, right? right? Back mm-hmm. in the eighties, he probably raped 20 or 30 women, serial rapists. And then he went cold. So, uh, right. anyway, they found him. So just like Facebook people, a genetic test doesn't cost $200. It costs thousands of dollars. And if it's, if they're giving it to you for a discount, you are the product, right? That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah, That's they're, they're selling your genetic information. Of course, there have been some changes to the law recently that we've been over before. So let's talk about some genetic mutations that I think are cool as hell. So do you? what, what percentage of the population do you think is colorblind? And we've always uh, used I that just- term. I would say around thirty-two percent, five to seven percent of of males, right? It's it, okay. it, it's a All it's right. a male dominated. So if you're a woman and you're colorblind, you're really special. You're a one percenter. Um, but guess okay. what? Colorblindness actually is. It, yes, you lose out on a certain percentage of the visible spectrum of light, right? But it's right. super contrast. Like you could see somebody hiding in a tree a thousand yards away and no one else could have picked up no one else would have detected them with their eyes so it's a you know we're meant to live in groups we have certain mutations that give us a certain uh, advantage right and so it's been perpetuated through generations of of whatever we began as uh, what we are now so i think that's pretty cool have you uh did you know that uh or i are you aware that sickle cell anemia may be a form of a natural, um, what is it, malaria? People with sickle cell yes. don't get malaria? It's oh. a, yeah, it's a, it's a natural, it's not an antibody, but it's considered an anti, what is it, what do they call it? And I'm not a scientist, but I want to, it's like the anti, it's an antithesis to malaria, like the, the blood structure does not allow malaria to transfer. Right. Because so, of sickle cell anemia. So, so, you know, people that have lived in air, uh, tropical areas for a 
couple hundred thousand years, you know, that while there's a disadvantage to it, you know, you're going to live a hell of a lot longer if you have a natural immunity to malaria while everybody's walking around with malaria and jaundice and everything else. So anyway, just yeah. some, just some cool little things, uh, things that excite me. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm thinking about throwing in on this thing. Yeah. Somebody needs to study you. No doubt. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. donate my body to science fiction really? when it's all over with. <laughs> right. All right. So um, let's go to uh, the considering the circumstances. So, uh, Reigns, we've talked about this a couple of times. Whenever there's an officer-involved shooting or, or any, any kind of mayhem where uh, a, a member of law enforcement is involved or there's an allegation of that, um, typically, local law enforcement would call the Alabama, uh, well, it's not Alabama, ABI anymore. Everybody works under ALEA. So ALEA would send some investigators down to do an independent investigation. What our sheriff has done here in Baldwin County is taken it upon himself to create a major crimes unit where he appoints other people to serve on the board. Um, and of course, all of the detectives working under that either work for one of these chiefs who are on the border for the sheriff's department um it's 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 a good idea in theory um but not when there's an officer involved incident and that's what paul's about to tell you about so i wanted to set all that up so you would know as far as we okay. know the sheriff's department in mcu they investigated themselves these are people that know each other they eat lunch together every day that's the reason we call people from montgomery or limestone county or who cares where just not somebody that sees this guy on his birthday every year not and that investigating kind of thing. or and, not and investigating shows up at yourself. the hospital when you when their kids are born you know right there's yeah. a bias there and as some of you are familiar with this too this is uh, again a lanyap article gabe times uh bay briefs considering the circumstances um and this is in the wake of a collision. Questions are now being asked as to whether the deputy followed deputy policy in maintaining a high-speed pursuit. Uh, now, for its part, the Alabama Law Enfor Enforcement Agency, Aaliyah, this is what you were talking about, investigated the crash as it does all traffic fatalities in the state. Aaliyah, Lieutenant Byron Piggott, said its report is complete but the agency lacks clear legal guidance regarding the full or partial release of investigative reports. Uh, Piggott said Alia did not investigate the Baldwin County Sheriff's Office pursuit, but its traffic homicide report. Now, remember, five people were killed in this uh, crash. Uh, the officer was uh, in an unmarked vehicle and going the wrong way. And uh, as explained by uh, uh, Harry, you know, you wonder what's going to happen legally, and they seem to have some type of immunity because Sheriff Mack said that he was unaware of any notice of claim filed against the county in the wake of the collision. Well, I mean, if they came to see me, I'd tell them that we'd have to get outside the scope. He'd have to be operating outside the scope of his job or outside the scope of their SOPs to be able to get through the, the fact that every deputy sheriff in Alabama enjoys the, con the constitutional immunity given the sheriff under the Constitution of the state of Alabama because he is not a local government elected official. 
He is a state executive branch official whose well, jurisdiction happens to be nested in this county. Uh, then where does the accountability come in? you got a police officer going the wrong way on a freeway in an unmarked it, It's vehicle. right. The, here's the accountability right here. Um, me, you, the land yap, and range rushing talking about it is all that's ever going to come of it. Anytime you're investigating yourself... That's not a good thing. And they're ta- they're but Let they me, said they're sending it to the grand jury at the end of this month. As I understand it, they send just about all the cases that involve a death like this uh, to the grand jury. Is well, that, that, that's correct. That's, that's procedure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Go, Go for it, Reigns. That that's the. I think that's. Um, now I am in no way waving the flag for Huey Mack, and I want that to be made clear. However, I will say this: the. Yes, it does look like uh, graft and corruption when you allow an, an investigating body to investigate itself. However, the first layer of protection we have is that any locally impaneled grand jury will have the ability to see whatever facts are presented by that uh, department, the investigating department. And one thing a lot of people don't realize is that the U.S. Justice Department can convene a federal grand jury to investigate any kind of officer involved shooting or anything like that for any reason, not just for civil rights violations or anything else. Um, I'd hate to advocate for some kind of Alabama burning uh, documentary type uh, situation happening there, but uh, there is at the federal level, there is a stop for, you know, if, if an agency has five officer involved shootings in a month, Mobile had one last them, month. Yeah. Mobile had four officer involved shootings last month. You'd think somebody would look into it. Well, I mean, they allow themselves to be investigated by ALI, right? Right. I'm sure they did, yeah. You know, they allow an independent company, they allow an independent agency to come in and investigate them so they have a level of transparency and and, uh, redundancy. Well, if Baldwin County has six in six months or four in a month, and they don't allow oversight, and they all get deemed as clean shoots, and there's somebody out there that says, hey, wait a minute, my, my friend was carrying which not a gun, and then it's you're right. It's going to fall on the press. It's going to fall on people like us, and if we raise enough hell, the Justice Department will convene a grand jury, and they'll investigate it. Here's a little, so it here's a little secret. Here's a little secret for anybody who happens to get on the grand jury. You have the right to ask and interview witnesses. Don't just sit there and take what the, the f- spoon-fed version that the district attorney's going to ladle out to you, mm, airplane your damn mouth and everything with. You're on the grand jury, and, and especially if you're the uh, four-person of the grand jury. Um, you, you you need to talk to the judge if you have some questions uh, and, and ask them what kind of latitudes you have to, to look further into these things. Don't just sit there and take their word for it. Oh, because you got to remember the sheriff has a pretty cozy relationship with the district attorney. We found that out the hard way, or I did. <laughs> uh, man, you know, in your whole life. All right. Mm. All right. So I got a little something for you, uh, Range. You might not know this, but this young man is from Alabama. He came. He became very famous. Uh, I think he was even on American Idol. Tell me if you recognize this guy. So y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here. <laughs> Do you recognize that's Mr. Antoine. Dobbs? That's right. He's from. That, that's Antoine, man. Antoine. He's a black Hebrew Israelite now. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> no. 
No, you don't know that, man. He renounced homosexuality. He settled down, got himself a family, and he's a member of the black Hebrew Israelites now. Well, good for him. I hope he's happy. Um, so, so I was using this as an intro into the Alabama legislature's back in session. Hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your money, hide your everything. Um, so some not- uh, bills of, of notice around here, um, tax man Chris Elliott um, has filed, pre-filed a bill to eliminate the idea of a police jurisdiction or a planning jurisdiction in Alabama. So in Alabama, you have an extra, extraterritorial planning and police jurisdiction that can extend out three miles or so, uh, depending on what size municipality you are. Just imagine how many more deputy sheriffs. And see, that's, that's where I think this is coming from. Um, you know, the Association of County Commissions is against it. The Association, the Alabama League of Municipalities is against this bill. Everybody in the world is against this bill except for like three sheriffs in the state of Alabama. Ours being one of them. Hang on. Let me ask you a question. Before we get out to the whole Harvard Law Review section of this program, tell me what, how Alabama stands on home rule. Uh, cities have it. Counties don't have it. So anything okay, the so, county wants to do, they got to go beg off on the legislature. So but, this uh, this this bill is proposing what we call in Texas an ETJ, an extraterritorial jurisdiction. Correct, and it, in that in that three mile bubble, you can imagine going around the town. Not only do police and fire services are, are provided out there, but the subdivision regulations of that city have to be conformed with because the idea is eventually we're going to annex out that way uh, as we continue Correct. to grow. So there, we don't want to be surrounded by, uh, I don't want to use a name, but, you know, little matchbox prototypical row houses surrounded. Okay, that town. all sounds well and good, but are you aware of the case law that exists that uh, that deals with ETJs? at different state levels and um, the the anti-annexation laws that have to be in place for those to, to operate? Oh, not not in Alabama. I mean, we, we've, we had, went through, we've had PJs for we, a long time. Well, we went through a, a case back in uh, 2013 that basically made forced annexation illegal. And it was because of the way that our extraterritorial jurisdiction laws were written where it almost compelled annexation. And I would wager to say that if that bill passes, you will soon see either lawsuits from the Municipal League or uh, or legislative it's action not, taken to amend it. It's not going to pass. It's going to get killed. I don't know why in the world they're wasting trees printing this thing, is what I'm saying. The, the other, oh, okay. The other local... Uh, law that uh, or has been proposed is a mental health court program for Baldwin County, um, which of course I'm in favor of. I think any anything we can do to uh, to help people who have mental health issues um, and divert them from the prison system uh, is a good idea. I just don't know, you know, they're they're wanting to put a sin tax on CDB products and that kind of thing. Um, I, I think that's fine. I just um, I. I think we need to get serious about funding mental health and not just look at sin taxes. I mean, we need to look at actual revenue that we can count on, like property taxes. Right. It is kind of surprising how they go after that 
uh, immediately. You know, they'll talk out one side about not wanting vaping or CDB oil or any of this, and then all of a sudden they got it, they see it's there, well, let's tax it. And it uh, makes you wonder why they don't go for the uh, medical marijuana or decriminalization or lottery, for that yeah, matter so let's of fact. Ta- any let's of talk about uh, the Beltway beat. The time running out on the lottery, Paul. Uh, <clears throat> I dropped it somewhere. <laughs> but I can tell you that the uh, the lotteries, and again, here we got another lottery coming up. The thing that uh, I watched the state of the state message uh, by Governor Ivey, and it was know, a bon bon. Uh, yeah, how she'd it. Say it, it, it <laughs> um, you sounded just like her, dude. <laughs> you ought to hear her on some bourbon, man. It gets it gets eighteen thirties real quick around her. But the thing the thing the thing that gets me is that uh, she wants to now take a uh, serious look at the lottery and uh, what I would suggest that she do is look at the states that are around her. All they have to do is look at the legislation there. There's no need for anyone in Alabama to try to uh, reinvent the wheel on the lottery. So it's just uh, double talk when they tell you that uh, we're going to do some research on it. You know, just hold your breath, will you? All right. So, well, let me, before we pass on that, I'm going to, uh, I need to add a page to the, uh, Backstory podcast file under Reigns Russian's unpopular opinions. All right. And I'll put this out here for anybody who feels like they want to comment on it. You know, feel free to engage us on social media about this. I'm going to say it. While I support lotteries for funding things like education and infrastructure and state states, I do not 100% morally agree with lotteries because I believe they are a form of poor tax. And just about every lottery in every state, when they do surveys about winners and losers and everything else, you will find out that lotteries basically are a tax on people that don't understand math. And people in lower socioeconomic uh, brackets will spend money on lotteries rather than investing in anything. And I see them as a poor tax. And... I'm not necessarily 100% in favor of lotteries everywhere. Well, I, I I know what you're saying, and I can tell you that it's amazing how long lotteries have been around. My grandfather lived in uh, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and I was up there for a while. I guess I was eight or nine years old, and I kept asking what Grandpa did because all he did was go out once in the morning, make a round, and come back. And they said that yeah. he, he was running numbers. And I never could mm-hmm. understand what running numbers meant, but that's absolutely nothing but uh, a lottery. And they have the same thing in Belize, and they have the God same knows. thing in Phoenix City in the 1950s. And yep. when the de- and when the newly elected Attorney General showed up, he got shot dead at high noon in the middle of the street, and nobody saw a thing. And look it up. And the lottery that they play in I mean, Belize. They- do we really want to a resurgence of? Table gaming, lottery, any of this kind of stuff. Uh, no, I don't necessarily, I, and but I sure as I sure as hell don't want um, anybody getting any kind of monopoly like is going on right now, which is unfair. Why can't Paul Rip and I go start a a, casino, a, a bingo hall? Uh, well, that's on. Well, that's to, on. Go ahead, Ranch. 
to talk to back to what you were saying, Paul, I understand that. I, I, I know the numbers game well. And if you research the socioeconomic impact of the numbers racket in every community that it's ever existed, there wasn't anybody that makes above median income that ever played the numbers. I mean, maybe one or two people out of a thousand. But it was the poor that played the number because it was a penny lottery. Right. You know, the, the, uh, the numbers racket, I don't know how they did. I know how they did it in Brooklyn. I don't know how they did it in Southern Alabama. But they would, you would pick a, you'd pick a three-number combination. And the way that that number was picked, it was the last three digits of the industrial average on Wall Street that was published in the newspaper every day. Right. When they, at close of business, they would the, the the number of the Nasdaq, the last three digits, that would be the number. And if you pick three five seven and the last three digits were three five seven, you hit, and they'd whack it up, take their cut, and disperse the money out. There was nobody on Wall Street that ever played the numbers. Well, that's they that, played the stock market. Yeah, you that, know they didn't they didn't buy a penny lottery ticket. Uh, that was my point about uh, Belize. I lived in Belize for about sixteen years and uh, was formerly right. British Honduras, and they have a lottery there. God knows, people there are not anywhere near even uh, medium income compared to us. But boy, they played that lottery once a week. Everybody got their number. So yeah, it yeah. is. It's a they they called it. I called it a dream game because it's a, a dream. Dream you're going to hit it, it big, is. and you're going to hit it big, and that's your dream. So, I seriously, you know. st- statistically speaking, you are not. Well, statistically speaking, absolutely, you know, yeah. But you know, some people that's don't the, want that's you the to. truth. Yeah, yeah. All but, right, so, you know, when, so let's let's when talk. When Powerball about, gets up to eight eight hundred nine hundred million dollars, I go and buy one lottery ticket, and every time the lady <laughs> the lady at the place asks me, "Say, why don't you buy more lottery tickets?" I said, "Because it only takes one to win." That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, the odds, the odds of me winning with one are the same as me buying a thousand. You know, I don't understand why people buy a thousand, but they do. The corner store that I get my cigarettes from every day, you'd think they could build a swimming pool out of how many cigarettes I buy from them. No, sir. They pay their rent with lottery tickets. All right. So another, wow. another uh, idiotic idea coming out of the uh, legislature is uh, they're going to pass a bill so that you can vote on whether or not you want a toll road to connect uh, between I-10 and I-65 to complete the Baldwin Beach Express. So, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about what what, uh, the Land Yap has to say about it, John Mullen. Yeah, this is in uh, Bay Brief's tolling mad Baldwin Beach Express uh, extension bills before the legislature. Uh, I know there's a little bit of four-letter word right now, says County Engineer John Nunnally. Uh, obviously, tolls are a funding option. Nunnally said some of the toll will be needed if the county is ever going to be able to extend the Baldwin Beach Express to inter- Interstate 10 to Interstate 65 to better stream the traffic to the Gulf beaches. And uh, Representative Steve McMillan Foley is sponsoring two bills to create such a uh, toll authority. Uh, One thing I thought was very interesting is that the bills are getting uh, support from a very unlikely source, uh, the Tea Party and longtime tax activist uh, Kevin Spriggs of Common Sense Campaign has been involved in uh, defeating ad valorem taxes, hikes for school, and was very uh, prominent in the toll project for the I-10 over Mobile. However, he is uh, 
uh, committed behind this toll that would be specifically uh, for that. He's currently, he is also currently proposing the um, new plan for the I-10 bridge. Who the hell is this guy and why do I care what his opinion is? Uh, well, uh, Kevin's with the Common Sense Campaign and they put I on I find a, that offensive yeah, that well, they would use that term, common sense. Well, common sense campaign. No, see. See, Tea Party a, people are against taxes, but they're for funding it any other way possible. Right, which is offensive to me. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Six of one, half dozen of another. Do you know the Tea Party came out against me when I ran for city council because I uh, was in and put a little sign up in my office window supporting a, a four mil addition to the Avalorum tax for education in Baldwin County? <laughs> Absolutely. I, yeah, I can understand why. You ought to see these Tea Party Nazis up here in Kingwood, Texas. Dear God, we're against any kind of damn tax ever. All right, what if we tax people that don't read the Bible? All right, we might be for that tax. You know, to hell with them. Wet, wet back <laughs> yeah. tax. Something like yeah, that. Right. They'd be all for it. <clears throat> All, All right, right, Paul, get it. Save me from myself. Okay. Please, let's move on. <laughs> um, oh, I know what I was going to do. I know what I wanted to talk about. The, what I'm What I'm excited about is the Amtrak is going to begin running again um, between Mobile and New Orleans. Right. I think that is absolutely fantastic because I really miss the days when it would take me five hours to get from Gulfport to Mobile. Thank God Amtrak is back. Yeah, well, this is uh, by in Lanyap, Damn the Torpedoes by Rob Holbert. Funding the Amtrak was the right move. I truly believe that, too. What the city of Mobile was being asked to do is to simply promise a million dollars a year for the next three years. So, in order dude, to, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I just love what's no, going don't. on in Mobile right now. Um, and I was going to save this to the end, but um, we – so, so we're getting rail uh, rail service again to New Orleans. Um, a lot of good restaurants in downtown Mobile. Um, you know, when I was a kid, when I was Nick's age, we used to go over to Mobile and uh, talk to the crack horse that were standing around Bienville Square. We'd pull up and roll the window down, and, you know, it was just a stupid, fun kid thing that we did. There aren't crack whores there anymore. It's actually a thriving downtown beautiful place to go um you know you probably you might get shot at three in the morning on dolphin street which uh, happens about every three or four years but um mo bay beignet company is opening february 6th at uh 451 dolphin street so you know we're gonna have a cafe de mode kind of place here yeah and, and uh, uh well and, that's and, and absolutely course, wonderful we're, was- we're the home of mardi gras not New Orleans, and this, this is uh, this is only this is a pledge of a million dollars a year, and it's for uh, three years, and that's not really a lot of money when you look at the annual budget is two hundred and fifty million a year, and it would only take about four thousand visitors each spending an average of two hundred and fifty dollars over the course of a year to bring one million back to the city. That's fewer than 12 people a day. The commitment of the city has made is only for three years. So if it doesn't work and the people don't ride the train, it'll be gone. But you, if you're going to revitalize the city and you want to take advantage of the restaurants, and I can tell you that the author, Rob Holbert, talks about traveling all over Europe in a uh, train. I've, I've ridden a train in tubes 
uh, in Europe, and one of my fondest memories is riding the tra- when I used to live in Belize. I used to catch a train from uh, Birmingham to New Orleans and back, and I'm going to tell you, that was a hoot. I, I would have paid twice the amount of money for some of the fun I had on those train rides. In fact, we can't even discuss that on the air. Let's please, <laughs> let's not. Let's not. Well, my favorite, my favorite part of this whole thing is something y'all may not know, but the uh, in Harrison County, Mississippi, the the uh, a uh, motion came towards the board of supervisors said, "Hey, we need to support this Amtrak deal," and the Harrison County Board of Supervisors said, "Well, it ain't going to do us no damn good. Let's make Mobile pay the bill. We aren't going to vote for it and get on board with it until Mobile offers up a million dollars a year for three years." And so that county has got Mobile. Some of that million dollars, some of that three million dollars, is going to pay for their Amtrak stop. Right. I think that was a brilliant piece of brinkmanship on their part. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. All's fair. Because when Sandy, we had we had an Amtrak station, and we had an Amtrak station in Gulfport, Mississippi. Because I remember riding the train from Gulfport to Mobile, and it took five hours. I remember my dad just looking out the window, going. You got to be kidding me, Junior. Well, look, because we could have we could have been there and back three times by now. Well, so we have a cruise term the cruise terminal parking deck, which if you've seen in I think they've shot five Nick Cage Nick Cage movies in that thing. Did you know that? No, I didn't all know the that chase many. scenes or yeah, yeah, when they're uh, drifting all around right. the corners and stuff. Uh, so right next door is the maritime museum that nobody goes to. So we've got this great parking area where if that, if they made that the stop, it, it just seems logical to me. Well, that, I would that that the would Marit- be the place. Maritime museum would make an absolute excellent casino. That's what that, that would, that would make <laughs> yeah. mobile. That's true. That would make. Hey, mobile. is that a, let me ask you, is that Liberty ship still there? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it open or is it or is it independent of the museum now or what? Oh wait a minute! You talking about the battleship? You talking about the, the USS battleship? Alabama? It's no, no. There was a Liberty ship. There was a Liberty ship there. Oh, they the come. Listen, they'll, they'll have the Japanese Navy will bring ships in here for uh, um, <laughs> what Mardi Gras. The, during Mardi Gras, mm-hmm. you'll have all kinds of uh, different uh, and the coast different navies, no, there was coast an old, folks. There was a USS Paul Revere. There was a there was a, a, a Liberty ship docked wow. in, in Mobile. Wow! And it was that. it was the last it was the last uh, the last one of the last remaining you know vintage Liberty ships you that had been decommissioned. In the- POS LST boats. Those L- no, long no, that's a whole boat? different story, okay. boy. I could I could do a whole I could do a whole podcast episode on the. The great debacle of the LST. Yeah. That was uh, I was a big part of that. That was fantastic. I, that's going in my. I'm actually written pieces about that for this book I'm writing. All right, about escorting that. that. Was, the, that was something. The Liberty ship are uh, <laughs> huge. There's uh, one off of uh, Port St. Joe called the Empire Micah, and about 110. Yeah, foot. it sunk. Yeah, yeah. I dove yeah. that many, many times. Saw monsters. I dove the Micah once. That's the deepest dive I ever did. Was on the Empire Micah. That's a dangerous dive, just simply because what it takes to get there. But when Paul gets better and I get certified for nitrox, we're gonna go do their riskany. Oh and yeah, see who, right. see who, see who's freaking chicken. <clears throat> I can't wait. All right, so let's let's move on to economic development news. Um, the county is doing a strategic plan, a goals and uh, goals and benchmarks is the name of the article by Gabe Tynes and Lanyap. Right. The county is hosting two public participation forums, one Thursday, February thirteenth, and the next one on the twentieth, from six to eight at the Central Annex in Robertsdale. 
of course, you know, we're growing like a weed and we need a plan seeing as the last commission threw out our damn comprehensive plan that we spent $350,000 in five years creating. So we're going to start all over again with a strategic plan, which is smart. Um, something they should have gotten started as soon as these new commissioners got elected. Um, I, I feel like they're getting their sea legs under them finally, and maybe maybe now's a good time for them to do this. Yeah, and the public needs to pay attention because uh, 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 Wayne Dias, uh, the county administrator, said that from the public standpoint, we want to hear from some of the challenges that they're facing, maybe the things that they'd like to see in the county do. Uh, where they say the problem areas are and what they think they should be doing. Now, this is encouraging uh, the people to participate in this, and there are several different things in the lanyard where they're asking for public participation. So, you know, don't bitch about something happening if you're not paying attention and don't participate. I'm sure they're going to get more participation than they want. Out of the two of us. Um, so, there we go. So the city of Robertsdale, growing like a weed. Growing like a weed. Uh, the hub city. So uh, so what's their prospectus? Uh, well, <clears throat> you think Robertsdale is like, uh, you know, in the center. It's not on the bay or not down on the coast. It's probably more in the center. And you don't look at it as maybe expanding as much as you think, but in 2019, their residential building went up by 24%. So, you know, people travel around Baldwin County and they say, man, Fairhope is doing this, Daphne's doing this, Orange Beach, so on and so forth. It's the whole county, folks. And the thing that should be, people should be paying attention to is there is yet no sewer regulation now your county commission will tell you that that's a legislative action but what i submit to you is that you should be asking your county commission okay here's what you can do you can put a moratorium on all of these permits until there is some sort of sewer regulation then watch and see how fast they do it so uh, robert sales one of those interesting municipalities so charlie murphy was mayor when I left in 2001 and he is still, what the hell was that? And, and, and he is still the mayor there. And I think he's a good mayor, but it, it I, you know, I, I run into the same conflict I have is what kind of new ideas would we have had right. if he had not been mayor for the last 30 years? And I think, and I, and I like Charlie and, and we're, we're friendly and uh, I think he's a good, I think he's been good for, for Robertsdale, but, um, you know, 24 years, well, a long time. Well, one made. thing I will say is when it comes to political corruption in the municipalities of Baldwin County, Fairhope takes first place, and I've heard very little from Robertsdale. So, yeah, you, know, you don't hear it's worth. Of course, you know, it's it, <clears throat> it hasn't been the uh, – it hadn't been going boom, boom, boom necessarily like everywhere else. But I don't think Charlie Murphy – Murphy's that kind of guy. Twenty-four percent is a good increase. Known him for a long time. Just don't believe it. All right. Um, so let's talk about. So, the Association of County Commissions of Alabama um, has a YouTube page, and I encourage you to go take a look at it. Um, if you just search on YouTube for Alabama counties, um, just put that in the search bar. Um, 
they just put out a, a video uh, day before yesterday about how prison reform has left the counties high and dry. Um, they claim that the, the reform, act, what it actually did was it diverted the burden from the state to the counties. And um, anyway, go, go check it out. Uh, what they're saying is no prison reform until you fix this bull crap. Mm-hmm. You know, these un- yeah. unintended consequences where the counties can't afford to do cut the grass because they're holding prisoners for 90 and 180 days or whatever. Um, people who would previously had been sent up to Holman or wherever, and instead because it's a bond revocation or probation violation or whatever, they spend their time in the county jail instead. And I think that was a very poor explanation of it. So go watch the damn video. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch the video because I didn't get that at all. <laughs> so uh, under legal news, presiding judge uh, John Lockett, the last Democrat on the bench in Mobile County, is retiring May 31st, 2020, after 20 years in office. And um, I that's uh, you know just. Another name that you never heard any hubbub about, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A quality jurist and and um, thank you for your service, Judge. Um, hope you catch lots of big speckled trout uh, in your retirement. Um, Paul, what I want to get into a little something. There, there was a uh, there was an article about this Perez character that, uh, you know, he, he, he shot and killed, uh, officer Sean Tudor over in mobile. So now he is claiming self defense because officer Tudor never identified himself as a police officer. And if you'll recall in our previous episode, um, when we were talking about the blue lives matter bill, I told you guys that, the idea that we don't treat cop killers or people who assault police officers very harshly. Um, this is going to be another really good example. I can tell you exactly how this is going to play out. They're going to say it does not matter under the statute. If you kill a police officer who is on duty, whether you knew he was a police officer or not, it's a capital offense and Mr. Perez will get the needle. I'll promise you he's going to get the needle. I I just can't. They're, they're, you know, he, this is, this is a really a, a hail Mary kind of pleading in my opinion. Uh, well that, I, I can't tell you the results, but I know that that pleading has, uh, come up before across the United States. I cannot remember how it, you know, turned out for, um, the individual, but I know that that's come up several times where they didn't know there was a police officer. As far as I'm concerned, you kill a police officer, you kill a police officer, period. So I want to go from a police officer that deserves our respect, admiration. I, I just can't, you know, I, I've, I've, we've all grieved for a couple of years. Has it been, it's been a year, hadn't it, since Officer Tudor was slain? Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so, I'm going to give you a flip side, a police officer who, uh, just, do you have that video ready to go? Let's watch it real quick. 
Breaking news right now, former Birmingham police spokesperson Peter Williston convicted of first degree rape. That's according to the district attorney. He's a former lieutenant with the department and in 2018, Williston was charged with sexually abusing a teenage girl a decade earlier. He soon resigned from a 17 year career with the Birmingham Police Department. No word on sentencing. So lots of things going on in Birmingham, some of them terrible. And it's like I've said before, these guys are people and they make mistakes and they do terrible things just like people who are lawyers, doctors, whatever the hell Paul Rip does for a living. Um, I, you see my point. I mean, there, there, there are some police officers who deserve our respect and admiration, and there's some of them who are just as rotten as the. Did you ever see that moose that they back to my Epstein angle? Uh, do you do realize you were wrong about everything in that entire episode, Reigns? Oh, you said Al Qaeda had nothing. To, it turns out they claimed uh, that they orchestrated the shooting at NES Pensacola, and then you said Epstein did himself in. Did you see that Brooklyn cop that had killed those three drug dealers they put in there with him when he first got put in the system? I mean, that guy looked like no. he could throw Joe Rogan's ass like a softball. He was the biggest guy I've ever seen. You, go Google it. It's it's incredible uh, that they put that guy in there with him. I'll look into it. I mean, I ain't always right, but I'm seldom wrong. And I'm a well, fan by my ass. Well, wrong absolutely about the shooting 15, 30 miles from my house. It was freaking Al-Qaeda. And you said, oh, that's probably over some woman or somebody parked in his damn parking spot or something like that. Uh-uh. It was absolute. That, that's who it was, man. Let was me tell you something how that works. Back in 1981, during what my uh, my forefathers called the troubles, the uh, there was a gas main explosion underneath a little corner pub in London. Right. And before the and before British Light and Power could issue a statement, the IRA claimed credit for it. Right. So. Ain't nobody going to lecture me on why something was done and who did what. I pay close attention to this shit, and like I started my friends, but I stand beside my assertion. Well, Just because I kind of claimed him, that don't mean nothing. That's like saying I ran my car, I got drunk one night and ran into a busload of preachers from the uh, historical Black Caucus in Houston, Texas, and the Ku Klux Klan comes online before my death report toxicology is even out and says, oh, he was one of ours, uh, Mobile Clavering, I swear to God, come down Montgomery, been with us all his life, Possibly. and where am I at to say anything about it? People in my family be like, well, <laughs> you know. Hey, man, I've been wrong before, too. I just never admitted it before. Um, <laughs> well, so, let, so let's talk about, uh, you know, I don't know if this is along the same lines, but our congressional candidates have filed their year-end fund, uh, fundraising reports. That's under Money Matters. Give us, Tell us about that, Paul. Money Matters. Who all's got the money? Congressional candidates file the uh, year-end fundraising reports. It's by Gabe Times. You know, the numbers just fascinate me as to how much money is going through in some of these races. In the reports released January 31, Jerry Carl, who's running for first congress congressional district. Have you ever noticed that people who've been married for a long time start to look like one another? Well, they say that about me and my dog. Thanks, you Michael Barry. That's a fantastic segue there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying. That Let's finish Paul's financial report, please, before we get into that bull crap. Really, really. <laughs> I, how, how do I go forward after that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, Mr. Carl reported $964,000 on total receipts during the campaign. And uh, Bill Hightower, who is the Catalyst candidate, people? They know, they know how to get money for uh, you. Yeah, Bill Hightower, Catalyst now is 663000 uh, Chris Pringle, uh, third highest at three ninety four. Uh, Wes Lambert at one seventy five five sixty four, and Castorani, uh, his total receipts were fifteen thousand one hundred and fifty nine in personal loans he contributed to his campaign. He's quite an exciting candidate. We hope to get him on the air here uh, in the Senate race. Uh, Bradley Byrne is at $3,346,000 in, in uh, total receipt, and that pales to uh, Jones's, um, uh, Joan, Doug Jones, who is $7,601,000. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's 40% more cash on hand than Bradley Byrne and about $1.8 million in the Senate campaign. Another $2,261,000 was transferred over from uh, Bradley's um, uh, house account. Uh, but Sessions, Sessions also reported the highest amount of cash on hand amongst the Republican field, which was $2.54 million. I mean, these are incredible figures, and it makes you wonder when people put up that kind of money for a candidate, just what they expect from the candidate. So, you know, money talks. Well, I hear from people around here that they're going to vote for Tommy Tuberville. Have you heard that? <clears throat> I have heard that. I've heard a lot of that. Yeah. And so if we're gonna if we're gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater and just send a neophyte up there, hell, let's support John Castronati. Well, Cast Castoroni. 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 To- Are you talking Tuberville. about Tuberville, the football coach? Yes. N- the he, unofficial he has, uh, nineteen it's coach of the night undefeated nineteen ninety seven Auburn Tigers. Correct. And he has yeah. he has lent himself he a is million dollars, up, man. He a is million dollars up. to kick and kick start his campaign last June, but he has raised more than one point three million in additional contributions uh beating Bradley Burns amount. I mean He's out trumping burn yeah. is what he's doing. Right. He's just saying, right. "Oh man, this all this mess with the president's much bullshit." Uh, right, uh, that that particular race uh, leaves a lot to be desired for. And don't be candidates. fooled, Tuberville is a sly. They they don't call him the riverboat gambler for nothing, and uh, yeah. he's very char- charismatic and he is very smart. Um, but I, he's a he's kind of a prick. He's well, I'd like pompous. to hear a lot more of the issues being discussed. Of course, you know, and, he's walking around. With, he got 50 million bucks to coach the Auburn Tigers. I'd pay 50 million bucks to coach the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, front of, front of. Front of, front yourself a million dollars after that type of uh, payroll to, doesn't seem like a lot. All right, let's talk uh, my favorite case uh, currently because I'm not expending ridiculous <laughs> amounts of money to – uh, fighting like the McSherry case where I'm not even involved. Um, but this is the, uh, uh, I guess the name of the article is attorney client privilege. Gabe, Gabriel Tynes of the Laniat wrote it. And this has to do with the mayor of Spanish fort who on October 1st allegedly slaps the city magistrate. Um, and for some reason, 
instead of prosecuting and going forward with this thing, we're all hot and bothered about uh, the attorney-client privilege that exists between David Connor, um, who who was the county attorney. He is the city attorney for the city of uh, Spanish Fort. And remember, he is also the registered lobbyist for Baldwin County Sewer Service. By no small coincidence, I can please, assure you. Please remember that. So, um, so he's he, – go ahead, and I don't want to miss – Well, well, well what, Con, what Connor wrote was that the uh, prosecutor appears to claim that the privilege was waived because counsel made a statement to the press in which he stated that the mayor claimed he was innocent. Uh, even if admitted, it is not the type of communication that waives any privilege between counsel, the city, the city council, and or the mayor prosecutors try cases day in and day out without attempting to seek privileged communications with the accused attorney in this type of case. Assistant District Attorney John Gamble is to lead prosecution and ask Judge Reed in December to uphold the subpoenas. He'll have an opportunity to respond to Connor's brief, and thereafter the case will be set for trial. Remember, all this is on videotape. Whatever happened to personal integrity and and common dignity, where Principle. where if something happened like this, you would you would gracefully bow out of public life and go do your thing, man. Yeah. Instead of saying you're waiting for your day in court, and I will be exonerated when I go to court. How many times have we heard that? Well, you know, here's the thing: if we keep if we keep uh, playing tennis with David Connor uh, for the next eight eight or nine months, I'm sure all of it will blow over, and we'll all forget about it. Everybody except the young woman who still has to work there, who doesn't have any choice. Um, I, I can't think of a more hostile work environment. Maybe, maybe if he slapped her somewhere besides the face, there would you know what's more egregious, Reigns? If he'd have patted her on the bottom or slapped her across the face. I mean, what 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 would what would have what would have women standing outside Spanish Fort City Hall with signs? I would. You think. would think it would be either or, right? That I, they would carry at least the same amount of weight. But I mean, the guy. You don't see put you, you don't the put your video. You don't. Let's see. There's a video. Let's yeah. see it. Why is it a secret? It's it belongs. It's a public video. It was on a public com, uh, server. I'm sure. Just, um, it's like the, I don't get it. It's like the McSherry case. We're going to go through this song and dance when it's all right there for you to see. Uh, I'm not saying anyone shouldn't have a fair trial, but there's no sense in uh, this type of political, legal procrastination. You, well, we to- live in a day and age where uh, we live in a day and age where the American public believes overwhelmingly that the rule of law versus the rule of morality are two different things and that they aren't the same thing as they were intended to be. As you can see in this latest impeachment acquittal, uh, you know, they'd rather argue the law than argue the issue. Correct. And that's uh, overwhelmingly the American position right now. What did I tell you guys? I told you guys he is a success symbol and more importantly, he's a celebrity. 
and nothing he does while he's in office will have any consequence whatsoever. I'll promise you. So y'all no, can just get off that. No y'all comment. Find something else to worry about. No comment. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Coastal Watershed Restore Act funds. Where are they going to use that stuff? Uh, well, the Restore Act funding is uh, this is your two cents Coastal Watersheds input into the uh, to get Restore Act grants, and this is by John Mullen again, Lanyap, to get Restore Act funding in the coming years to improve watersheds all over Mobile and Baldwin County. Geocentec Consultants is is uh, beginning to gather information to have these projects ready when the money comes uh, comes up. Now, again, they are is Geocentec's working for the county or the state or who? They're a consulting uh, company. This is a consulting company, and they're to gather the information. They're seeking public input about coastal watersheds from Fort Morgan, east of the Big Lagoon, to Escambia County, Florida. And uh, one meeting was last night, uh, but this is uh, definitely public engagement. Tracy Holliday said water quality, fish and wildlife, the environment, beaches, waterways, water access, culture, and heritage. Now, again, they're asking for public participation, and the next meeting uh, is uh, uh, just, uh, well, the meeting on the 6th was just one of the first meetings. The, The next meetings will be held over the next 18 months. So stay in touch with uh, looking for those Restore Act funds. Remember, those Restore Act funds are designated for certain things. You got they're asking for public participation. This is your opportunity. You live down there on the coast uh, or anywhere, and you feel passionate about this. Show up, give them your two cents. Yep. All right. So, Paul, are you familiar with the Community Foundation of South Alabama? No. Okay, so I'm not really all that familiar with them either. Um, I know that uh, Bradley Burns' wife, Rebecca, runs that outfit. You know, she used to uh, be be with the United Way here in Baldwin County, and um, she moved on to that organization. So all I know is they cover eight counties, 750,000 Alabama residents served, they're slated to begin construction in August on a new headquarters, the $3 million build-out located at 212 St. Joseph Street of a 6,919-square-foot headquarters, two-thirds of it designated for public use. <sighs> wow. Anyway. Not bad. That's a big place. Um, I so can you and I go do our podcast there? <clears throat> I don't know, man. That's a, <laughs> really kidding. Um, so what else you got, Paul? I'm, I'm uh, running out of gas. Okay. Well, uh, one of the other articles I thought was, uh, interesting since I'm a veteran is a uh, ranked choice. This is by Jason Johnson. Military advocacy group is challenging Alabama's overseas, uh, voting process. This is always controversial uh, as far as people getting absentee ballots and stuff, but a nonprofit dedicated to active military members' voting rights has filed a federal lawsuit against Secretary of State John Merrill and the Mobile County Board of Registrars, challenging the way the votes are from residents living overseas are tabulated in the Alabama primary runoff. The lawsuit, which has been filed by Minor Michael Jabor, God, I hope I pronounced that right, and the National Defense Committee 
earlier this month, claims a system adopted in 2015 to help comply with certain requirements under the Uniformed and Overseas Citizen Absentee Voting. Uh, you might want to look at that. One of the things I found out uh, or that I thought was interesting is that the most recent data published by um, Secretary of State uh, John Merrill's office uh, says that there is 9,361 ballots were sent during the 2008 election and the presidential election. Of those, 6,486 were completed and returned. In Mobile County, those numbers were 850 submitted, 581 respectively. So you can see you have a lot of military people overseas from uh, just that one county. So, Reigns, do you know who Kasim Al-Rimi is? No, I don't. He's the founder and leader of, leader of Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, the terror group's Yemen branch. He was killed yesterday... <laughs> Because he's the Al-Qaeda leader who claimed responsibility for December's shooting at NES Pensacola. Well. I mean, they they killed the guy because he said he planned it. So we got to watch what you little say. A little, <laughs> little bit of. little bit of. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I want to talk about one more legal right. concept Go ahead. just real quickly. Um, we talked about a little bit about it earlier. Qualified immunity, um, that's not exactly, it's, it's in Alabama, it's a constitutional immunity. Um, so there is a woman in Idaho who was dating some guy and the cop showed up and said, we got a warrant for his arrest. Is he in there? And she had just gotten home from taking the kids to school. And she said, hell, I really don't know. Here are the keys to the house. So what do they do? The SWAT team comes in. They shoot tear gas grenades through all the damn windows, blow the doors off the hinges with shape charges and all this, and then they pack their shit and leave. They didn't have any responsibility to do anything with this house. So she sues them. It goes up to the Court of, uh, uh, the court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals. And um, I don't know what, what uh, district that is, but anyway... Um, and they say, yes, uh, this is a, this is an issue that's never been cleared up. And, uh, so just remember when, uh, the cops come to your house or if they ever show up and say, Hey, is, is Jimmy in there? Say, I don't know. Let me go inside and look real quick. Right. Don't, don't give them an opportunity to destroy your property. And, um, anyway, I just thought that would, that was something that everybody might find, uh, not amusing, um, kind of terrifying. Because this woman, you just got to imagine everything in her house was coated with pepper spray, essentially tear gas. Yeah, and they couldn't stay in there, and that stuff burns too. I mean, it, it's not it, easy it, to it, get it, out of clothing either. It's corrosive. Right. <clears throat> yeah. That's what I was getting at. It's corrosive. Well, right. there's been uh, there's been some just just right on that real quick. There's been some pretty big cases uh, regarding police life. Uh, liability and legal liability as far as sovereign immunity goes. I don't know if you recall, I believe it was in, uh, in Colorado, or I may be mistaken on that, but there was a case of a, they were executing a no-knock warrant on a house, and they threw a flashbang into a window and landed in a baby crib and killed the baby that was in it. Oh, God. And uh, that was uh, that was a big deal. And they ended up inside the house. I mean, the warrant was a good warrant. But the woman, the mother, sued the police department for wrongful death. And the 
federal Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that, yeah, the police department would be liable for an accidental death in that case. So let me just read you so, this. The, the reason is a controversial legal doctrine called qualified immunity, which the U.S. Supreme Court created in 1982. Under qualified immunity, a government official can only be held accountable for violating someone's constitutional rights if the violation is clear, clearly established. That means law enforcement officials can only be held accountable if a court has previously ruled that exactly what they did is unconstitutional. Well, right? there's state exemption. Not, I mean, we've got an exemption unreasonable or unethical. It's got to be very narrowly stated by a previous court that throwing a flashbang and you know is is something that you should be compensated for, and it's not. And the this case in particular is West versus Winfield. Um, U.S. Uh-huh. Right. Supreme Court is to hold a hearing on this. <clears throat> All right, Paul, wrap well, us we- up, baby. Yeah, wrap it up. All right. All right. Uh, you know, we uh, do land yap and review quite a bit. <clears throat> Some people ask why we do it when we're not even being paid for the advertising, and that is because they are the ones that are producing the most uh, information and worthwhile news in Baldwin County and Mobile area. <clears throat> They've got an, they have an ad in the back that says, uh, I want you to know what the da-da-da-da-da is going on. And it says you can get Lanyap at 21 cents a day. I can assure you, you can't, uh, you know, uh, I think the Mobile paper now is like 350 for one Sunday paper, which is three days old when you get it. So you can get Lanyap hard copy uh, in your newsstands for free, or you can get it online. Get it for twenty one cents a day. So I'm a proud subscriber to the Mobile Lanyap here in uh, Houston, Texas. I but subscribed to their online edition last year, and I read it every day. Yeah, because it's as important to me as anything else out there. Good plug. They well deserve too because they've come a long way. Did you, in the did you show them the, the ad? Did you show uh, it to the yeah. camera? It's this a pretty is, good one. This is the ad that they have in the back, just like I kind of favors the uh, I Want You Military Service years ago. But uh, good, good publication. Uh, pick one up when you can. Hey, and I want to remind y'all just real quick like. You are entitled to any animus that's directed against you. Uh, you have no good purpose in any of the things you're doing other than to muck rake around, and everybody knows it. Indeed. So my next public service announcement <laughs> is about the Clays for A's program uh, or Clays for A's benefit is set f- Friday, March 27th at Bushy Creek Clays in Perdido. So um, this is the fourth annual event in which the leadership Baldwin County group uh, presented by Wind Creek Hospitality um, will hold a clay shoot up at Bushy Creek Clays in Perdido, and this um, will benefit the seven educational foundations in Baldwin County. And I've shot it. KK comes down from uh, Centerville. He's our ringer, my my buddy that's a law enforcement officer up there. And um I'm pretty good. My nephew's dog nuts, man. He's a dead eye dick. He's 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 shooting eighty percent and I'm I'm pretty close to eighty percent. I I could do better. Um but anyway, if you want to come over for that, Reigns, I'll pay your fee 
four-man team. Well, and it's a lot my, of fun. My eyesight ain't as good. My eyesight ain't as good as it used to be. I might accidentally Dick Cheney somebody. So <laughs> you just let me know what they're wearing, and I'll uh, I'll pull it off for you. So they they Give usually a raise little, little old peppering. You usually raise about twenty thousand dollars on this thing. Um, you the you can uh, also purchase a chance to win a Franchi, uh twelve gauge, a Benelli uh, line shotgun, and um, of course, you always bet the Calcutta when you get there. Put a little money to bet on yourself. Why not bet on yourself? Why not? A little gambling doesn't hurt. Not on something like that. Not when it's for charity. Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe I've changed my tune on that. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate you participating, Reigns. I know this was a little bit of a pain to throw together today. Um, everybody keep your eyes peeled on the uh, Facebook page. I will get, that, uh, get those exhibits up. And... Um, Everybody have a good weekend. It's turned out to be a beautiful day. Um, it started out pretty cold. I went for a walk this morning, and dadgummit, we were about 35 degrees this morning. So, and uh, Yeah, it was cold. It was cold here last night. Got down to about 32 degrees, and I got and it's 72 right now. I'm loving life. God bless East Texas and their bull crap weather. And uh, everyone be sure to stay up with the RIP report to uh, give you a little different spin on what's going on in the area. Uh, Rip Reporter, Baldwin County Legal Legal, and uh, have a very good weekend.